When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We all know that stressed out sleep is not good for us. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Well, in today's episode, I talk with Charlie Morley, best-selling author, published scientist and teacher of lucid dreaming and mindfulness of dream and sleep for over 20 years about how we can use lucid dreaming to combat the harmful effects of stress and trauma in order to achieve restful sleep and healing dreams. And even if you don't have problems sleeping, these powerful practices will help you optimize the time you spend dreaming so that you can sleep better and wake up healthier. Charlie was awarded the Winston Churchill Fellowship to research PTSD in veterans with great success. This is one of my favorite episodes, so let's jump right in. Charlie, I've been looking so forward to this, not only because you and I have both got very similar interests, but job and our background, but we are both on my, on teachers on Mind Valley. I've, you love Mad in America podcast. That's where I heard you first. My youngest daughter and all four of my, my adult children work for me. My youngest daughter practices lucid dreaming and she actually learned it. She found some of your YouTube clips years ago. And I'm actually going to do the lucid dreaming course through Mind Valley. I'm going to, I've set aside time in December to do it. But for years, Charlie, I've been teaching from a neuroscientific perspective about how when you sleep, your non-conscious mind, I don't know if you're aware of that term, not subconscious, but your non-conscious mind is sorting out what you built during the day. Plus it's dealing with the past, plus it's trying to help you sort out your life. So it's so important to dream. And it always has amazed me. And I've heard you say this as well, how people have kind of battled around what are dreams for? And then it's the most logical answer is that they're there to help you sort out what you've what you've got going on in your mind during the day and prepare you for the next day and so on so i'm very excited to have you have you so welcome and i'm quickly going to read your just a short bit of your bio charlie is a, charlie morley is a best-selling author and teacher of lucid dreaming shadow integration and mindfulness of, and of dream and sleep he's been a lucid dreaming teacher for over 20 years he's teachers within the i don't know how to say this kagyu school of Tibetan buddhism have i said that correctly He's spoken at Oxford and Cambridge. You'll hear his gorgeous London accent. I love it. London's one of my favorite cities, by the way. Spoken at Reuters News Agency, Army Air Corps, Sky News, Metropolitan Police. 2018, he was awarded the Winston Churchill Fellowship Research in, uh, um, to research PTSD treatment in military veterans and continues to teach workshops for people with trauma, doing brilliant work. 2019, in a world first, he trained a group of therapists to use lucid dreaming with their clients. Credible. And then the first scientific study into your actual methods was conducted by the Institute of Noetic Science in 2022. 
and you found that there was a remarkable decrease in PTSD symptoms was experienced by almost half of the participants. I know you're doing an expanded research study and I know you had a, quite a challenge trying to get it published because people have to think differently. So I'm so excited to interview you. Thank you and welcome to my podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you on, on board. So Charlie, let's, I've given a very brief run through, but you have a great story, a back, great backstory. Can you share with my listeners a little bit more about who you are and what your backstory is and how you got into this? Yeah. So I've been kind of obsessed with dreams since, since literally since I can remember, actually. I know for my 12th birthday, I asked for something called a Nova Dreamer, which is this electronic sleep mask that you strap to your face. And it claimed in the advert that I read in this kind of you know, brochure thing and then in the Sunday newspaper that it would give you lucid dreams. And I read and I saw the description of what a lucid dream was, a dream where you know that you're dreaming. And once you know that you're dreaming, you can direct the dream at will. And I remember saying to my dad, I have those dreams, Dad, and this mask can give me more of them. So I know what I want for my birthday. And, uh, you know, it was $300 or something. And he said, in your, well, he didn't say in your dreams, but he probably thought in your dreams. So I never got it. But that's my first memory of like being really into dreams and wanting to have more lucid dreams. But then when I was kind of 15, I think a lot of young people around that age, you start looking into the mind and consciousness and there's got to be something bigger than this. I really remember thinking that there's got to be something bigger than this. So I started looking at martial arts and Buddhism and hypnosis and, and lucid dreaming came up again. And I bought some books and taught myself how to do it. And I found that because I'd had this basis in dream work from quite young, like telling my mom my dreams every morning and then getting into lucid dreaming at 11, 12, I found it quite not easy, but I, I found I had a, a natural predilection towards the practice. So I started having quite a lot of lucid dreams. Uh, but, you know, 15, 16, this is way before I got into Buddhism, way before I knew about the potential to heal trauma and work with the uh, increase your spiritual capacity and stuff. So I was just using it for like sex and skateboarding because the things I was interested in at 16, one of which I was doing a lot of in the waking state, the other only in the dream state. A couple of years just messing about. And then I get really into Buddhism. So those books I was reading at 15, I kind of turned back to there. And I keep coming across this term dream yoga. That comes up only in the Tibetan Buddhist books, this term dream yoga. And I was like, what is this? And it seemed to say that dream yoga was a form of spiritual lucid dreaming practice where you use lucid dreaming to do your meditation, your sleep, use it to train for the moment of death and use it to see the dreamlike nature of waking state phenomena. So when I started to read that, I thought, wow, there's this thing that I trained myself to do for pretty kind of, you know, hedonistic reasons, but apparently there's a spiritual practice in it. So then I got really into Buddhism. I formally became a Buddhist, ended up living in a Buddhist uh, center for seven years and training with some really outstanding Tibetan Buddhist masters. And then eventually they thought it'd be a good idea if I gave some talks and, and shared some workshops. So yeah, that's the, that's the backstory really. That's amazing. I love that. And you, you talk, you, you've done this research now. Let's maybe start there with the, with the, the research that you've done. Then we can always work backwards, but you, cause you've skipped over quite a few. You've, I mean, you've summarized it quite a few years of how you got in this. You weren't originally in that. You were, you were, what were you before? You were an actor and script writer, hip hop collective, running a hip hop throwdown. You'd still do that. Okay. So you're still, and you, and you've got a dog called Waffle, who's a little mini dash, dash, dash. How do you say that word? Yeah. Dash. And don't say her name too loudly though, because she's sleeping behind and she oh, knows. And she'll her. wake up. She, she likes, the, she likes to be part of the show. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. So yeah, I got my twenties. I was running like a, a, a break dance event. Basically, I put on the British Break Dance Championships. That's what I was. 
I was doing. And that's what I thought my career was. You know, I was putting on events, I was doing some acting work and I was in a couple of moderately successful hip hop groups and stuff like that. So that was my path. You know, I'd never thought you could, I mean, teaching lucid dreaming wasn't a thing. I didn't know it. I, I didn't know it could be a career path. So actually the first couple of years, the first few years from 2008 to like 2011, when I was teaching lucid dreaming, my day job was still running the breakdance events. So there was this crazy thing where if you Googled me, it would just come up with all these breakdance videos and stuff like that. Nothing with lucid dreaming. Yeah, I love it. Well, it's, it's quite a two experiences that, that shape you in a very interesting way. Can you define lucid dreaming? You briefly referenced it at the beginning, but I think a lot of people don't know actually what it is. Yeah, sure. So a lucid dream is a dream where you know that you're dreaming as the dream is happening while you are still sound asleep. So if you've ever had a dream and in the dream, you go, oh, wow, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming right now. This is so cool. I want to fly or I want to change the dream or I want to do whatever. That's a lucid dream. And for people who are listening or watching and thinking, I actually haven't had that experience. Think back to a nightmare where in the nightmare you've gone, I've got to wake up. I've got to wake up. Because if you've ever had that experience, that's actually a lucid dream too. You know, the moment you acknowledge there was a place to wake up to, you would indirectly acknowledge, well, I'm asleep right now. So here's the first takeaway. If you were ever lucky enough to find yourself lucid in a nightmare, don't wake up. Every time you wake up from a nightmare, the unintegrated trauma that led to the creation of the nightmare remains unintegrated. And of course, this is why nightmares recur. You know, you, you rarely see people say, oh, I have recurring happy dreams, right? Because those happy dreams, whatever that might be, become integrated in the moment. They don't need to kind of, the, the message doesn't need to be sent again. But a nightmare, when we wake ourselves up from it, either intentionally or from the shock of the nightmare, is like a therapy session cut short. So necessarily, the brain has to present us with the same or a similar nightmare again, not because we've done anything wrong, not because we're being punished, and definitely not as a sign that we are re-traumatized, but actually in many cases, a sign that the brain is healing itself. So nightmares can be very good news. I agree with that because our non-conscious mind, which is the area that I've done a lot of work with, non-conscious, conscious, subconscious, and the difference and the unconscious, so it's different. The non-conscious mind is pretty much exploring all your experiences and it's on your side. So if there's something that is is disruptive to your life, it will come up in signals and nightmares are one of those signals that we need to pay attention to. But you've also, you've done work with, with you know, PTSD has been a big area of yours and also you talk about insomnia. You talk about that, how this can help with all those kinds, all those kinds of things. And you talk about it a lot in your, your webpage's got, got lots of great tips and things and little videos. And you've also got a, a great books and your latest book, which um, is called Wake Up to Sleep. It's also got a lot in it. But maybe what would be a great place to start is you talk about the four D's of lucid dreaming. That might be a nice place for you to just help people understand how they could start using that. And then I have a question about a dream I had last night that I want to see if you can answer. I'll ask after you. Sure. Maybe just before we do the four Ds, you actually asked about the study before that. And I yes, didn't. Yes, and the study. No. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the study. See, I'm too excited. So let's talk about the study and then we can talk about the four Ds. And then I have an interesting question for you about a dream I had. So the study, which got published in June of this year in the peer reviewed journal of traumatology, finally, as we can, as we can discuss, was a study looking at could lucid dreaming treat waking state PTSD symptoms? Because lucid dreaming as a treatment for nightmares has a long history. You know, dozens of studies, literally dozens of studies showing that lucid dreaming is a very powerful intervention 
chronic nightmares. Because of course, if you can train someone to become lucid, to become conscious within the nightmare and know, oh, I'm not really back in the traumatic situation or, or the car crash or whatever it might be. I'm simply dreaming I'm back in that space. And in fact, my body's asleep in bed. I'm totally safe. I'm free from harm. This is just an expression of healing from my mind. Then nightmares can be integrated very powerfully through lucid dreaming. So that's well known. But IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, approached me a few years ago wanting to see if lucid dreaming could treat waking state PTSD symptoms. So could the integration of nightmares through lucid dreaming while people sleep be so powerful that the effect is seen in waking state post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms? So could we decrease panic attacks, anxiety, depression, flashbacks, all of these kind of hallmarks of of PTSD as well as nightmares? And long story short, it turns out we can. Now, I didn't, I, I wasn't actually that confident going to the study because I thought, yeah, nightmares, definitely, but someone's PTSD level, who knows? So at the beginning of the study, we had 55 people in the pilot study, all of whom had chronic PTSD. So to get onto the study, you had to have chronic PTSD. And in many cases, it was treatment resistant. You had to have been in treatment, but you still had, had PTSD. So it was chronic. And the threshold, people way over the threshold at the start. So it was like, you know, severely traumatized group. And my job was to spend a week teaching them lucid dreaming through 22 hours of, of lucid dream instruction, spread over a two-day workshop and then several follow-up days and nights. And not only to teach them lucid dreaming techniques, but to teach them specifically how that once they became lucid, their intention was to face and transform a fear or to engage a healing action towards a traumatized aspect of themselves within the lucid dream. At the beginning of the study, we took people's PTSD score based on the DSM-5 self-report PTSD model. It's like a kind of a long checklist, like 35 questions that's used to kind of self-report trauma. People took that at the beginning and the nightmare experience scale. And then the end of the week, they took the PTSD scale again. And when we collected data at the end of the week, after the vast majority of people had not only had a lucid dream in the one week workshop, but had had what classed as a healing lucid dream that either become lucid in a recurrent nightmare and were able to stay in the nightmare and face it, or people were becoming lucid and actually intentionally calling out to meet wounded aspects of themselves and then showing them love or literally hugging these these aspects in the lucid dream. And by the end of the week, when we took people's PTSD scores again, the average PTSD score had dropped so low, it was way beneath the PTSD threshold. So the scientists... They actually thought there was a problem with data collection. So they, they, they checked again and they said, look, we're still getting this score, but this is crazy because if you look at the data, it seems that over 80% of people are no longer classified as having PTSD by the end of this week, which can't be right, of course. So they triple checked the data and they still got the same thing. So then they said, look, we need to do a full week follow up study because maybe it's some sort of weird flash in the pan. Maybe there's been some sort of group dynamic that's occurred. So we need to separate the group. No contact with you, Charlie, for four weeks, and then let's check the PTSD score. They did that and actually had dropped one point below. So we had at least of it actually. So there seen, was sustainability. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we found that you could greatly impact. A re- uh, there could be a huge reduction of PTSD symptoms through lucid dreaming. So of course, we're saying this is great. This is, this is going to change everything. Let's, let's put it to be published. And uh, yeah, no one would touch it. And it was interesting because the journals were. They weren't disputing the data. They were saying, yeah, it's good science. Like we, we don't dispute it, but it's not for us. And no one would really give reasons. However, 
Word did get out about the results we had. So even though we weren't published, Word got out into the kind of scene. So we received funding uh, to do a 100-person randomized control. Because the first one wasn't randomized control on a gold standard. So once we got funding to do the second study, and once we'd completed the study and had got similar results, then magically the doors opened and we did manage to get published. Well, congratulations. It's a great achievement. So that's really great. So the second study of 100, you had the same same kind of results. Yeah, we've just crunched the data. Actually, I got one of these, another excited email from, from a scientist, which scientists don't usually do excited emails. Except me. You'll get those kind of emails from me. <laughs> Maybe I'm an exception. <laughs> well, there's another exception, Ions, yeah. So I got an excited email saying, we seem to have done it again. So I don't know the exact percentages and stuff, but yeah, he said, we seem to have done it again. So I believe we replicated results. Fantastic. So they've published the first one on the, on the 56th. That's one published. Yeah. You can find it June 2023 edition of Traumatology, the journal of Traumatology. And if you just Google lucid dreaming PTSD, it's like the first thing that pops up on Google now. Shoot the link over to me after the interview and I'll add, and, and I'll add it to the show notes and then people can go and have a look at that. Now that's, that's incredible. I mean, that's, and I'm glad you've started there because people, you know, you've defined lucid dreaming and you've given some scientific background. I think what's good now is, is if we just dive into either through, the, you know, to talk about those forties of dreaming or maybe what you did with them or come back to that. So a little bit more detail about the. PTSD. Oh, yeah. Let's look at the detail there because people often ask, how do that actually work? Okay. So. One of the core techniques we were using was what's called dream planning, which is actually one of the four Ds. So this links it. It's the first of the four Ds. So dream planning is where you decide what you would like to do in your first or next lucid dream while you're awake. So it's like an art therapy exercise. You get a piece of paper and you write at the top in my next lucid dream, I dot, dot, dot. And in this case, for many people, a lot of the group actually were not just PTSD. There was CPTSD, complex PTSD, many of them were childhood sexual abuse that they were working with. A lot of the military veterans who are part of this study, although they were presenting with like combat trauma, actually so many of them, it, there was trauma before they entered the armed forces. And in fact, one of them said, it's trauma that led me to the armed to forces. To the armed forces, yeah. I've heard this a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of complex childhood sexual trauma and childhood abuse stuff going on. So many people had a dream plan to meet their inner child. Because in previous work, we'd found that if people become lucid and call out to meet childhood trauma, which a couple of people have done at, at my workshops before, and on both occasions, the dream has blocked them. To quote Carl Jung here, there is an inherent intelligence within the psychic apparatus that strives for balance between the dark and the light. It seems to be that in this one case, someone called out for something in their lucid dream that was kind of too intense, that might have even re-traumatized them. And in the lucid dream, a neon sign appeared in front of them and said, access denied, access denied, access denied. You know, what a cool symbol of the mind saying, nah, dude, that's, that's too much. You can't go there. But what we found was if people called out to meet the inner child, the archetype, which was wounded by the childhood abuse, that created like a buffer zone between the that occurred and the healing that they want to engage. So many people made this dream plan. In my next lucid dream, I call out to meet my wounded inner child. When they appear, I show them love. I embrace them with acceptance. My embrace leads to a full and complete healing of any and all of my childhood trauma, leading to a resolution in the waking state in which I feel free from my PTSD symptoms. 
I know that off by heart just because that was someone's dream plan. So they've kind of written this very exactly. They write it. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah. They write it down. Then step two, you draw a little picture of it happening. And this isn't about being a great artist. In fact, be quite childlike with it. But in this case, it might be a little stick person calling out with a speech bubble in a child, come to me. And then you draw another little thing of a stick person hugging a little child and then maybe a big heart for integration, something like that. Just yeah, a lovely. Fresh. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing of the sankalpa, which is a Sanskrit word that means like will or intent. And that's the thing you actually call out once you become lucid or the, the action that you engage. So if the dream plan was, as I said before, those, those several lines about the, the intention, the sankalpa would be simply in a child come to me. Or for example, my one is little Chuck come to me. Because when I was a kid, I was always known as Chuck. So if you've got like a nickname you were called as a child or something, that's a really good one for this. And people were becoming lucid and they were engaging the dream plan, many of whom were using the inner child one. So they're becoming lucid and calling out, you know, little Mary come to me or whatever the, the name might be. And in almost all cases, a symbolic representation of their childhood would appear. And sometimes it was like a little girl with her back turned to them crying. You know, what a symbol of childhood trauma. And in that case, the, the dreamer went up and kind of tapped her on the shoulder and said, it's okay, you're safe, and then hugged her. And when she hugged her, she dissolved into light. Great kind of symbol of, uh, I don't know, merging into light or healing, whatever. Who knows how she wants to interpret it. And they were waking up and then, you know, writing down their dreams and looking at their kind of mental well-being state in the morning. And when you look at the dream reports like that, you're like, well, no wonder their PTSD symptoms dropped off the next day. If you have a dream that powerful, it, it, it makes complete sense. But I guess I was shocked because I've been teaching this for 15 years and I've known the power of lucid dreaming for trauma integration. But to have scientists say, yeah, it's real, you know, this is real and we can measure it, was just so cool. Such an honor. And I love it because lucid dreaming is so self-empowering. There's no guru to worship. There's no cult to be part of. There's no religion you need to join. It's free. You do it in your sleep. You just learn the techniques, whether it's from me or someone else on the internet, and then you do it yourself. So it's so self-empowering. So for people who've been let down by the medical system, who've been let down by a therapist who didn't hold the space for them in the correct way, who've been let down by you know, other interventions that haven't worked for them, when they come to lucid dreaming and there's this thing that you do for yourself in your mind while you sleep and it is 100% down to you, I think even just that sense of self-empowerment is part of the healing. Because what we found, and this is a strange result for the scientists, 75% of people, I think, in the week manage to have a lucid dream and a high percentage of those were what's called a healing lucid dream. But what we found was the 25% of people who didn't get lucid that week, a high percentage of them still had a big drop off in their PTSD score. And we were going, you know, the scientists were like, why is that? And I believe it because just trying to lucid dream, just engaging the kind of empowerment of, wow, I'm going to sleep with an intention to heal. And I'm actually going to look forward to my nightmares because if I can get lucid in that nightmare, I can change my life. I think just that attitudinal shift can be very healing as well for even the people who didn't get used. That makes so much sense. If I look at my research on the non-conscious mind, it's operating 24-7, never stops. It's incredibly fast. It's a driving force. It's the, it, it instructs the non-conscious, but only when the non-conscious actually chooses to connect with it. But it's there driving us. Out. And then the subconscious is just a portal, a doorway. And the unconscious is when we are asleep or 
knocked out or something like that. So you've got your non-conscious always working through all those unconscious and conscious states. And it's on our side. It's, 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 we're wired for love. We see this in a psychoneurobiological aspect. And so as a psychoneurobiologist, I mean, I, we say these things, we see these, we do studies where we show the whole link when you manage your mind, you see the change in your brain, you see the change in your body and all these different biomarkers, but it's mind that's driving the process. So you're, the way I understand it, and I mean, this is just a theory that I'm putting forward, but it's something I've spoken for years. That's why I love what you, this research study really like, Hey, this, this is you, you, this is, I agree with us. This is accurate. I saw this with my patients and things as well, that the non-conscious mind is using that to communicate with us, to communicate. So your, your non-conscious mind is communicating with you because your mind is you at your aliveness, but there's different levels. And it's the part that has the whole, your whole you-ness in its, in its grip and is finding the stuff that's disruptive. And it's, it's a, a healthy way, even though it's painful to have those nightmares and it's going to create you know, anxiety and depression and tears and grief, those are normal responses to dealing with the pain. You have to go through the pain and you give a lovely example of you of scabs in that aspect. And I'd love you to, to talk about the scabs because it's really the, the non-conscious mind's on your side. It's prompting you to, to, to do the work. I talk a lot about the non-conscious mind during the day as well, helping us through signals and our behaviors and all that stuff. But yeah, I'd love you to talk about the, the scab idea. It's, a, it's the first time I've heard anyone explain it like that. It's so good. And, and just before I do this, there's music to my ears hearing this stuff. And also your work on neuroplasticity too links so well into lucid dreaming. Know now that you can rewire your brain while you sleep through lucid dreaming. You know, the prefrontal cortex is not engaged during non-lucid dreaming. So although dreaming does help you learn, it's, re- it's wiring in memories you've done through the day. It's not active. It's not actively rewiring in the dream state. However, once you become lucid and the prefrontal cortex switches on, as far as the brain's concerned, you're awake. So any action, any repeated action or newly learned action or novel skill you engage in in the lucid dream, the brain is rewiring itself while you're doing that. You can actually affect neuroplasticity while you sleep. And we believe this is how the trauma integration aspect is working because if you're in that recurrent nightmare that you're back in Iraq and you're in that firefight and your, your life's in danger, but one time you manage to become lucid in that same nightmare, no, wait, I'm not back in Iraq. This is simply a replay of the firefight. This is a nightmare. What am I scared of? In most cases, many of our fears are that my physical body will be harmed or killed, right? So where's my physical body? First of all, it's in bed, which in most cases is a pretty safe place to be. Not in all, but in most cases. Where am I now? I'm inside my mind. Okay, well, whose mind? My mind. So wait, I'm creating this. Well, then stop. Boom. And you can freeze the dream. And there's this moment of, wait, it doesn't have to be this way. And in that moment, you can reverse the bullets or you can turn the bullets in the firefight into flowers as one person did. Or even better actually is not to pause it, is not to change the dream, but to walk towards the firefight, knowing this is simply the display of the mind and there's nothing that can harm me and I'm totally safe. And the next, when that's happening, as far as the brain's concerned, you're not dreaming about being back in Iraq, but having a different response to the fearful uh, experience. As far as the brain concerned, last night you went back to Iraq. You had a similar experience, but this time there was no fear response. There was no traumatization. And so the hippocampus then reloads that new memory. It files it in in place of the old memory. And when we wake up, the trauma response has been greatly reduced simply because the memory of the traumatic experience has been replaced with a non-traumatic one. It's... Once you see the biological mechanisms of it, it makes so much 
It's just taken so long to get to this stage where we can actually prove that these are the mechanisms underlying it. But anyway, I would say your work just completely, it, it's so in line with this. It's so in line. Totally. That's why now you can see why I was really excited when I heard your interview and wanted you on the show because it's, it's, it, it is in alignment because you actually are, you know, it, you, when that gamma activity starts happening in the brain, that's when active learning is taking place. And we also know that the alpha, the theta beta rate, when those increase the alpha beta, sorry, the theta delta waves, when those start increasing along with the gamma and certain patterns happen, we see it when people are awake that your changes are happening and your brain is always changing, even when you're asleep. But you, with a lucid dream, the way I'm understanding it is that you're directing the change. Consciously, you can direct the change when you're awake, but you can also tap into this power of the non-conscious mind and direct the neuroplasticity while you're asleep. And that helps to then process and take the energy. Because the way I always see the explainer to people and from my research is that these thoughts the experience of Iraq or whatever is a thought tree and it's wired into the brain as a structural change and it looks like little trees inside the dendrites clustered together. But it's also a gravitational field in the mind. It's also a change in every cell of your body. That's why they have the full replay. So when you're doing the lucid dreaming, you're loosening up all those things that have kept you chained and wired and you're reprocessing and because you can't change what's happened. Iraq happened. The, 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 the rape happened or whatever it may be, but you can change what it looks like inside of you. So I got so excited with the lucid dreaming because I can teach people how to do that when they're conscious through the systems. But the lucid dreaming, you can reinforce that. You can go into another level of facilitating this process. So sorry, I'm going on about this, but it's like, That's it's fantastic. Fantastic I want to jump in and say, the dominant breakway once you become lucid is gamma. So the look at someone in a, in a brain scale with an EEG or fMRI. Once the prefrontal cortex switches on, you get this big gamma burst because, of course, gamma is the, is the recognition brainwaves. Oh, but the gamma maintains. So, like, if you're in a five-minute lucid dream, you're in this, like, gamma bar for five minutes. So, when people wake up after a lucid dream and say how amazing they feel, I'm like, yeah, because you were just bathed in gamma for, like, half an hour, have a long lucid dream. That's amazing. You made a... You made a point in about the scab thing, and we're both getting excited. I just want to make sure. I know, sure it's that- great. It's great. We'll cover that, yeah, for sure. And that gamma bath is so true because it does make people feel great because generally it's going to activate a lot of theta, and theta is a healing wave. So you get this you get this kind of Goldilocks principle happening where you get this ideal state of, of and gamma, and the others, everything goes into kind of a supportive state, but it makes you feel great. And then that causes the release of anandamide, which is a bliss a neurochemical and you know you just get all these great things happening so yeah that's really interesting <laughs> hey fascinating oh the scab thing so i think the, the metaphor that i use for in many cases nightmares are a sign of a healing mind so just as you know just as when the body is wounded let's say we cut our arm blood cells coagulate and healing mechanism engage and a scab forms and what is a scab? A scab is a protective layer that forms over a wounded part of the body to allow healing to occur beneath the surface. That's exactly what a nightmare is. A nightmare is a healing response to a wounded part of the psyche, which allows healing to occur beneath the surface. And just like a scab, you know, scabs can be itchy and we can want to pick them and that makes them worse. And that would be like self-identification with the nightmare. We might be ashamed of our scabs and hide them from others. That'd be like the shame that many people have their trauma and nightmares. But we know that without the scab, we'd get gangrene every time we got a little cut in our arm. We need this. And, you know, this healing response from the brain, when we, from the mind or the brain, when we have a nightmare, 
is a good sign. You know, we need to completely transform our view of nightmares as a society. Yeah, I agree. As a negative term, you know, when we were having those problems earlier with the internet connection, one of us could have easily said, oh, this is a bloody nightmare. You know, we use this term and we had, oh, I had a nightmare journey. I couldn't get to work on time, whatever. Like, it's, it's subtle, but we basically see nightmares as something bad, right? When you say something about, in almost all cases, nightmares are playing a very important role. And I mean, there's even something called uh, threat simulation theory from Ansi Ravonzo in the Reykjavik University, I believe. He's got a theory that nightmares, not a past trauma, but specifically nightmares of future threat. So nightmares of kind of lions, tigers, and bears are directly linked to the reason we came to be the apex predator on this planet. Because if you got cave woman A and cave woman B, you know, back in the, back in the cave woman times, <laughs> I don't know what era that was, you know, back in the olden days, if cave woman A is dreaming of, I don't know, sunbathing on the savannah every night, but cave woman B is dreaming of being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. And then her next dream, she's fighting the saber-toothed tiger. In another nightmare, she's running from the saber-toothed tiger. And she's dreaming these like regularly. A couple of weeks later, let's say Cave Woman A, Cave Woman B are out in the savannah and they meet a saber-toothed tiger. Who is more likely to survive and pass on their genes? Cave Woman B. She's been rehearsing for this moment. She knows how to fight, how to run, how to hide all the things her nightmares were preparing her for. And she would then pass on her genes into so nightmares from the very dawn of our evolution, and it was an evolutionary step because mammal, all mammals dream, apart from, this is an interesting fact, or kind of useless fact, apart from the duck-billed platypus and the anteater, they don't dream, but all other mammals dream. But not only do humans have long dream times, but we seem to have nightmares as well. And they're not sure whether other mammals have nightmares because they haven't studied this. But yeah, there's a belief that nightmares actually helped us to survive. So not only are they brilliant ways of integrating past trauma, they're also brilliant ways of preparing us for future threat. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. One of my New Year's resolutions this year is to cook more family meals. But finding good quality foods can be a challenge. This is why I love ButcherBox. You get incredible deals on premium cuts that are hard to come by at the grocery store. With ButcherBox, you can easily find high quality meat and seafood you can trust, including 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. I love that everything they offer is humanly raised with no antibiotics or added hormones. I personally love their chicken tenders. I make my famous chicken ala king with them for friends and family. It's always a hit in our house. Plus, with ButcherBox, you get your food delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping. 
Each box also comes with recipe inspirations, guides, tips and hacks if you're looking for some inspiration or want to try new meals in 2024. And for a limited time, new members get two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken breast or two pounds of salmon for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use the code Dr. Leaf to choose your free offer and get $20 off. The link and details will be in the show notes. Oh, I, that, I, that totally leads. I have to just jump in before we do the four Ds. I wanted to just jump in with the stream that I'd had years ago because I wanted to, I mean, there's two dreams, but I'm just going to talk about the one very quickly because what you've stimulated in my mind is years ago when my children, when our children were very young, we've got four children, my husband, Mac and myself, and we had this holiday place back in South Africa. We currently live in the States. We've been here for 15 years. And it was on this wild, on the wild coast of Africa, very beautiful, but very wild. And we were on pretty dangerous in that area. You have to be very careful. Not just from the sea, but from, you know, people you can get easily attacked and there's a lot of criminals and that kind of thing. But we thought we were in a pretty safe place on the beach with our kids, walked down from our holiday house and we were relaxing there on the beach. And the next minute, my husband, our, both of us were reading, the kids were building sandcastles. They were young. I mean, they were all, I think the oldest was five and the youngest was like a baby of sort of one. And it looks up and suddenly there were these two guys running at us with daggers and screaming and these long daggers and they were like really close and they were just running at us. Now here we are, there's no one else in this part of the beach. We There's a sand dune so no one can see us and we've got four small children and it's just my husband and I. And before I tell you what happened, I'd had a dream about this exact thing. And in my dream, I had, I knew nothing at that stage about lucid dreaming. Because this has been looking 20 years ago, uh, 20, almost 25 years ago. And I mean, I'd heard about it. I've been doing research, but the term lucid dreaming is, I think, fairly new. And I don't, it, anyway, but I'd had a dream about this exact scenario. And in this scenario, I had seen the outcome if I had did certain things. So it was almost like in my dream, I had seen the scenario, stayed in the dream. It was like a, it was almost like my gut, my instinct, my non-conscious mind was saying, stay in the dream to get the solution, which was to actually do what I did and and I did that. And then here's the things happening. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to play that out. And I jumped up and my husband, as my husband jumped up, I stepped back and these two men went for for him first and they were stabbing at him. And all of this was exactly in my dream and, but then nothing touched him. It was like literally like he was covered by like a, a film of whatever, like some sort of protection. And he moved back towards the water and he yelled at me, get the kids. And I yelled at the kids and started pulling them towards like a little crevice in the rock to get them through there and start running along the beach and yelling. So I kind of like the big one picked up the little one between within a few seconds and my husband was just fending them off. And I remember just shouting at them and saying, I don't know what I said. I just screamed something like, go away, leave us alone or something like that. Something ridiculous that meant nothing. And it's like we disappeared. And in my dream, what I had dreamt was that our whole family was covered by a shield and that they couldn't see us anymore and that they, they wouldn't kill us. And there was a shield that was, I stayed in the dream to dream this magic Harry Potter style, invisible cloak kind of thing. And I mean, there's all kinds of spiritual connotations there that one could look at and whatever. Yeah, there's so much going on in the street. Yeah, there's just so much going on. And I, I mean, and this I, is reality. And then I wanted to wake up, but I stayed in the dream and, and the dream ended and we got away. I, this thing happened on the beach and I, and we disappeared. It's like we disappeared. They suddenly stopped. They looked around. 
they looked at each other. We, it's like we were gone and they turned around and like, scratched their head. You know, where are these people? Your husband and was scathed. Didn't totally. It was like there was a shield around him. He had the tiniest little scratch on the one shoulder, but these were daggers this long and they were, they were two men. I mean, there's no way he would have survived that. It was almost like there was this invisible shield around him and they turned around and they actually grabbed our picnic basket and that kind of thing. And I remember my little two year old shouting, my cookies, my biscuits. He wanted, they took his biscuits. He didn't care about it. You know, it's like that was what they were stealing. But anyway, we got to safety and people heard us and whatever, and we got away. And the following week, someone was killed in that exact same spot by the same people. And then they caught them, thank goodness, and everything. But now, was that evidence of a lucid dream? Because that's happened to me periodically in my life. I've had these, not always negative, but warnings and whatever, whatever, and different situations. And so I've learned to really, really listen to my dreams. It's definitely a premonition dream, like without doubt. So a pre-warning dream. And there's loads. I mean, there's so much going on there. You've got a premonition dream. You've got psychic stuff going on. There's definitely kind of, you know, was it lucid? I mean, lucid is simply whether in the dream you went, oh, this is a dream while you're having it. Yes. And I said that to myself. So this is a dream. Stay in the dream. Don't wake up. You need the solution. Don't wake up before you see the solution. What do you want the solution to be? But to be honest, the lucid dream bit of your dream is the least impressive. The most impressive was the the kind of seeing this future outcome, the thing about the force field, and then your husband being unscathed and then almost like they couldn't see you. That's, 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 I would say that's a direct hit premonition dream. Like, and that saved your life. Oh, totally. We would have never have survived. None of us would have, none of us would have survived. We would have, we would have been killed because the following week it was actually, there was, yeah, people were killed the following week and then they managed to catch them. And it was a police officer who went undercover and then they caught them and they had all the arms. They had, you know, they were armed with knives and guns and all kinds of stuff. And, and also, I'm just, just saying, my, my heart opens to that trauma. I mean, I'm, Talking about the dream, first of all, I'm so, yeah, my heart opens to that traumatic event. I did not, you know, instead of let me share a dream, I thought it was going to be, you know, I usually go, oh, I dreamt of my cat. What does it mean? Oh, it's called cat. Dreamt of my cat, yeah. Straight into like trauma premonition dream. Wow. Yeah, it was. And my kids, there was a lot of trauma. You know, we spoke about it. We sat together. My kids were young. I spoke, explained what happened. We, you know, it was real. They saw this. They saw why was the man trying to stab daddy. And, you know, so we talked it through. And that's another thing that I teach a lot of is don't hide stuff from your kids. Don't pretend everything. It was a terrible, scary thing. We can cry. We can because they did have, they did have nightmares afterwards, but we, we knew what it was about. We let them. So in other words, it's just, I, I felt the, you know, the PTSD sort of thing. It's, it doesn't, but for you, it did grip me for probably five or six years. I would have. It got better and better over, t- you know, not better, I shouldn't say better over time, but I learned to deal with it and process it. But I would wake up thinking, what happens if, you know, there were a lot of ifs and I'd wake up in a cold sweat thinking what could have gone wrong and that kind of thing. But you do, the dreams help me to process it, you know, so that was Absolutely. And actually, Carolyn, you're, you're reminding me, I mean, we were talking before we went live about my connection to South Africa and that the, the place apart from the UK that I've taught the most is South Africa. I mean, there was one time for seven years in a row, I was teaching like twice, sometimes three times a year in South Africa because my Buddhist teacher was there, Cape Town, Joburg, sometimes Durban, Pretoria, sometimes East, East London. Is that a yes, place? Yes, East London. Yes. East London, Port Elizabeth. Yes. Oh, Port Elizabeth. That's it. Yeah. PE. Yeah. And East London's another one. Yeah. It's all, all up the side of the coast. Yeah. And, and what I found was that so many people in, or a way higher majority, of people in South Africa were having trauma nightmares compared to other countries. 
and especially in places like Joburg, because of course there is there's a higher crime rate. And everybody I spoke to had either been directly affected by house burglary or carjacking or was one removed, knew a close friend who'd been affected by carjacking. And at my workshops in the morning, we have dream circles. So I have witnessed and heard literally tens of thousands of people's dreams from everywhere from Monaco to Mexico, from Uruguay to America. But what I did find in, in South Africa was that there was a lot of nightmares of house invasion and street robbery. And whether it was people integrating things that had happened to them or whether it was a fear of things that were going to happen. And it was only just then when you were speaking, I thought, wow, maybe that's actually what helped direct me towards the work with people with PTSD. Because there has been a lot of the work that I've done with people in South Africa was around nightmares. I didn't mean it to be, but it was just always a topic that came up when working in South Africa. It's huge. When we first moved here, my, my children were, it was about five years after the incident. They had nightmares for five years. I would, especially the younger two. And even when we moved here, they'd have nightmares. It was so much safer here than there. But, you know, they had, they were incidents, other incidents of, you know, things that where we, where we live, you live in a high security place and people broke in. So there were a lot of, it took a long, but it was their nightmares, I believe, that helped them because they would talk about it. They'd wake up and they would tell me the nightmare and we would say, look, we're safe now. And, you know, and that's something that I'm sure you encourage people to do because a lot of people say, oh, no, it's okay. It was just a bad dream. No, that was actually telling you. Yes. And talk about your nightmares. You know, I've, this happens maybe only about once, to, once or twice a year, but I guess once every six months is pretty regular. Someone will say, oh, no, I'd, uh, never write down your nightmares as if they're like telling me this fact. And I'm, I'm like trying to hold back my, my irritation. I'm like, wait, why don't you write down your nightmares? Oh, because if you write down your nightmares, you'll manifest them into existence. I'm like, it's completely the opposite. You know, that's how you conquer them. Exactly. By writing down the nightmare. And actually, there's been an interesting study on this came out a couple of years ago. They found that when people, the act of writing down or speaking out loud, an anxiety dream or nightmare led to higher levels of waking state well-being because when you don't kind of discharge the emotional energy That's of the, the night, yeah. you know, those, those stress hormones stay there. So they found when people wrote it down, levels of stress hormone dropped because they had kind of, you know, expressed it onto the page. So definitely write down. And even in, in the ancient Tibetan Buddhist dream yoga teaching that go back at least a thousand years, they say definitely write down nightmares because they actually believe that if you have like a really super spiritual dream, maybe those ones don't talk about too much. Because every time you, because you don't want to kind of release that energy, you want to keep it within. You want to keep that within. That makes sense. Yeah. Whereas the nightmares or any dream that isn't serving your highest purpose, yes, definitely talk about those and release them and kind of, you know, get, set them free. So, you know, there's good providence on this about writing down your and nightmares. And lots of good, great research on it. Yeah. Yeah. And with kids, best thing drawing, you know, it's a, a prevert. Well, I think for adults too, but to, to draw a nightmare is so good. And then with, with younger kids, you can draw out the nightmare, let's say, I don't know, scary dragon or something. And then you can say, okay, so if you knew that you were dreaming and you could do anything you wanted, what would you do? And then often the kids will say like, oh, I'd call Harry Potter and he would come and save me. And you say, okay, I'll take another colored pen. And then you draw in Harry Potter. What would that look like? Oh, he's here and he's on his broomstick and he's going to zap the, the dragon. And then what happens to the dragon? Well, the dragon becomes my friend or something like that, which is a great way not only to integrate the nightmare, but you also your kids lucid dreaming because the next time they have that nightmare, they'll remember they've got a the solution. And, yeah. They've got the solution and you can write that in because that experience of doing what you've just described 
which is a part of the work that I've developed is how you actually wire, wire things and direct the neuroplasticity. That actually becomes a network in your mind-brain-body connection. So when through and the if act it's, of, of drawing through it the out. Act of, through the act of acknowledging, talking, drawing it out, understanding it, you know, asking the questions, what do you do? And then, you know, sort of looking at your picture, go to bed maybe with it stuck on the wall so you can see it first thing or next to the bed. Then when you go to sleep, it's fresh in your mind, but it's a network. So it's active in your mind. So if you go into that, into that nightmare, your, your mind, brain, body will call on that network and it will help you to, Hey, this is the thing that this is what's happening, but this is actually what's happening. And you can, you know, dissipate the, the energy and get it under control and solve the problem. It's fascinating. I see you and I could talk. We should do some research together. It sounds like we should be doing some research together. We should do something together. This would be so cool. For sure. Well, definitely after this podcast, we're going to exchange. You're going to exchange um, details so we can for sure do that because it's, this is amazing stuff. Okay. So let's, let's give people, let's give our listeners, I'm, I just want to be respectful of your time and I've got to do another interview, but could, could we, I know this is not going to be quick, but the four D's, I think so. It is lovely for people to, it's so great your four D's. I love them. I've got them all written out over here in summary, but you, uh, you do. So it. the first thing we've done, dream planning. So I gave you the example in a child dream. You could do anything, anything you want to do in your lucid dream. Maybe you want to meet your favorite movie star. Maybe you want to do your spiritual practice. Maybe you want to ask a big question like, what career path should I take? And if you do that, often you get an answer. People say, you know, who's the answer from? Well, the answer's from you, but it's from the bigger you. It's from the you that's untainted by limitation, the you that's, you know, unshackled from the chains super of the ego. Super intelligent, super intelligent. Super intelligent, exactly, yeah. So whatever you want to do in your lucid dream, make a plan of what you want to do. The second D is dream recall. So unless you regularly remember your dreams, it's going to be hard to have a stable lucid dreaming practice. You can have spontaneous lucid dreams every now and again, but if you want intentional lucid dreams, dream recalls a must because essentially lucid dreaming is about knowing your dreams so well that you know them when you're in them. So the first thing you need to do is remember what you dream about. So how do we do this? When you fall asleep at night, use a self-hypnotic suggestion such as tonight I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. Tonight, I remember my dreams. I have excellent dream recall. If you fall asleep saying that over and over again for a few minutes as you fall asleep, you're very likely to remember your dreams the next day. And everybody dreams. A big barrier for some people is they've been sold this lie that some people don't dream. Oh, I don't, I don't dream. You do dream. Everybody dreams. There's no way to stop the human brain. not dreaming, yeah. Actually, well, yeah, heavy head injury or a stroke will do it. For a, but only for a couple of weeks, and then the brain re- starts dreaming again. Yeah, so listeners and watchers, you are definitely dreaming. That's the first barrier to get through. Second is, why don't I remember? When did you last try? You know, if you don't try, it's not going to... Why? You haven't, told, you haven't told the brain it's important to remember. But if you fall asleep doing these affirmations, that's going to give this sense of importance, and, and the brain will respond. So second D, dream recall. Third D, dream diary. Simple as it sounds, document your dreams in some way whether it's writing them into your phone, whether it's jotting down on a notepad, whatever you like, but write down your dreams. Why? And not to interpret them. That's not actually what I'm, I'm, I might be in personally, but that's not what we're doing here for lucid dreaming. We're, we're kind of collecting data. So we're writing down the dreams. So write down the major themes. Think about reviewing a movie. You know, when a friend said, oh, what was that movie like? You wouldn't have to say every line from every scene. You'll give them the rough outline, the major narratives. So just five or 10 minutes writing down your dreams in the morning. And then the fourth D, the reason you write down your dreams is to collect data and from that data to start to spot patterns. So let's say after like a week of writing down your dreams, 
you flip back through your dream diary and you see, ah, oh, I always dream of my dead grandma or wow, twice last week, I dreamt of my family home where I grew up in as a kid. You know, you'll see these patterns emerging, things that only happen in your dreams and things that only happen in your dreams are dream signs. Like any weird or anomalous aspect of your dream that can't happen in real life, that's a dream sign. Whether it's being back at school or seeing dead relatives or being friends with Beyonce, whatever it might be. Once you start to find those dream signs, you've then got a lucidity trigger because you can say, hang on. So meeting, being friends with Beyonce is only happening in my dreams. Seeing my dead grandma is only happening in my dreams. So then before bed, you can tell yourself. So if between now and when I wake up for breakfast, I see Beyonce, I must be dreaming. That's the only, only rational explanation. Or if between now and breakfast, I see my dead grandma, then I must be dreaming. Or if I'm back at school, then I must be dreaming. So you create these lucidity triggers and then you fall asleep. And if that night you happen to dream of Beyonce or a dead grandmother, this trigger goes off and it's a very strange feeling. You'll be in the dream and a sense of deja vu will come over you. And it's a sense of like, whoa, here's Beyonce. I'm supposed to remember something here. What is it? What is it? And that's called pre-lucid where you're starting to just question the dream and eventually pre-lucid will click in Beyonce. Beyonce is my dream sign. That must mean I'm dreaming. Boom. And you can become lucid. And then of course the practice is to stay cool because anyone listening will know the first couple of lucid dreams usually last about five seconds because you see your dream sign, you notice something weird that's, that indicates you're dreaming and then, oh, this is so cool, this is so cool. Bam. And you wake up. So a lot of my job is to kind of keep people calm in that mode. And as you see, I'm very excitable. So actually, big job for me is that when I get loose, oh, it's so cool. Okay, I know this state. I'm dreaming. What's my dream plan? And then you engage what you want to do. So those four things, those will get people going tonight. You know, there are dozens of lucid dreaming techniques. And I've got four books on it and stuff. But those four ones, those will keep me going for tonight. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, as soon as I heard them, I tried them and it's really changed how I dream and I can't wait to do the course on Mind Valley so I can learn the whole thing. I can't wait to have you back on my podcast and to talk to you about all kinds of exciting things. But Charlie, where can people get hold of you and find you and get your books? And Yeah, so my website, charliemorley.com has got all this stuff and I'm on Instagram and anywhere that sells books has my books. And then there's a course on Mind Valley. There's another one on Awake Academy. Yeah, you'll find me. I'm on Facebook and everywhere. And I teach online quite a lot, but also a lot in person. So... Last year, I did 13 retreats in different countries around the world. So check my website and there'll be lots of things coming up next year. I need to do one of those in person. Sounds so much fun. Great. Charlie, thank you so much. It's been such a great interview. I've enjoyed it. I really got excited too. It's nice to find a fellow person who gets super excited like I do. So Me too. It's been like really exciting chat. Great questions. Great insights. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope to have you back on again soon. So thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. 
Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline E. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.